We think of the all-star break as the halfway point of a season, maybe because in baseball, it's more or less true. But in the NBA, we're well past that point. The Thunder enters the break this week with 54 games and 37 wins already out of the way. And that leaves 28 games for OKC to get its house in order for the playoffs. Now, it's been a pretty tidy house all season, and the all-star break comes late enough that you can essentially say who you are as a team right now is who you are. Your identity is more or less established, unless you tweak who you are. And the Thunder did do that to some extent, adding Gordon Hayward last week at the trade deadline. Putting Hayward in the mix doesn't change OKC's identity. Though he won't make his debut until after the All-Star game, he's a plug-and-play fit on paper. But it opens new lineups and new strategies. It adds a new personality. There will be some adjustments to make, and how quickly the Thunder makes them and how effective they are will tell the tale of this final stretch. And though only 28 games remain, there's no shortage of storylines here in OKC. Hayward's at the top of the list, but it doesn't end there. Shea Gildas Alexander's MVP case, Jalen Williams' emergence, Josh Giddy's struggles. There's nobody better to talk about all of this than Brandon Soul, the head of content curation at NBA Top Shot. And as you probably know, if you're a listener to this podcast, an avid Thunder follower. He's here. And today, we're past halftime and looking toward the fourth quarter with Brandon Soul. I'm Brett Dawson, and this is Heard Thunder. Before we get started, I want to thank the sponsors who make the show possible. MidFirst Bank, the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum, Fire Lake Casino, and your local Ford dealers. Drive into your best in Oklahoma Ford dealers today for the best deals on Ford's full lineup of trucks and SUVs. Ford is the best in Oklahoma. So let's get to Brandon Soul. Brandon, you know, I could have any number of guests here, but you're just like the best guy to talk thunder with. I could bring in guys to talk about MVP candidacy and Victor Wimanyama, but like you're a guy who watches the Thunder every day when your dad duty allows it, and you like to talk about the Thunder. So welcome back. Of course, um, that's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. So thank you very much. <laughs> and I think you went too far. I don't think that's true at all. But I'm happy to be here. I love talking Thunder. You know that. Love talking Thunder with you specifically. So uh, ecstatic to be here. I got to get better at you know when I have guests. I got to get people with worse backgrounds than me and also who look worse on camera i'm failing at that miserably but i love you got the guitar back there you got a hoop back there you got a lot going on i got some stuff coming full disclosure my backdrop's gonna look a little different but you know for now i'm still just here i just imagine you're gonna go completely in the other direction it's just gonna be way overkill way too much stuff and uh you're just gonna have to find a happy medium yeah it's gonna look like the walls of a old tgi fridays there's gonna yeah, be like an alligator up there and like a Billy Bass. I'll just have a Billy Bass that sings at the beginning of every show. I'll have the Billy Bass do the ad reads. That's actually pretty good. I like that. Yeah. I like the idea of that. Um, so let's talk some Thunder. And it's the All-Star break, Brandon. And I said this in the intro. The All-Star break sort of feels metaphorically like the halfway point of the season, but it's not even close. Uh, we are much deeper than halfway into the season. And at this point, you kind of are who you are, unless you sort of change who you are. And the Thunder did that. So we're going to talk some about what they did. We're going to talk about Gordon Hayward. Um, we're going to talk about some other guys on the team as well. But let's just start off with where are you with this team right now? We're at the All-Star break. They get some time off. They get some needed time off. Um, what, what jumps out at you at this point about this team 54 games in, I think we are? Yeah. Um, it's hard to say what jumps out like, in the exact now. Because sort of the thing that's jumping out at me is that nothing is jumping out at me. That's a non-answer, I know. But I, just how good this team has been the entire season has been sort of not, I don't want to say shocker, but it's been a pleasant surprise. They're the two seed heading into the All-Star break. They have the best point differential in the West. I don't think anyone could have predicted that, right? 
And maybe you can say that they've regressed to the mean a little bit since that December, late December run, right, where they were just completely on fire, hottest team in the NBA. And I think that's fair. Uh, but you see the expectations that that run alone set up for this team. And when they drop a couple games in a row, like the Dallas game, which was an egregious loss, it was ugly, it was gross, of course. But those games happen in the NBA, but they weren't happening to the Thunder. And then it happens and people start to get uncomfortable and wonder, okay, do, does this team actually have some weaknesses? So I think just the fact that we are where we are and this team is so clearly good, there's no real concerns with them. It's more hope with this team. It's not, it, it's just a really nice place to be if you're a Thunder fan and if you're around the organization, I think. Yeah, I think it's, it's sort of funny because Sam Presti has sort of stressed all the way through this that they're not going to skip steps, you know? Um, and the fans have sort of skipped some steps, and I understand that, because um, they got so good, as you pointed out. In December, they were so good. And I think the thing to me that jumps out about them is the way they've sort of flipped the expectation. They should get some of these games. They should be a team that, like, okay, they beat Denver, um, and then they lost to, uh, you know, they, they lost some weird game that they were, you know, they lose to Utah. The, the kind of uh, stretch they've had lately is the kind of stretch they're supposed to have at this stage. They're a team that's very good but they're very young. They can beat anybody. They can kind of lose to anybody. But what they've actually been is a team that beats most of the teams, the overwhelming majority of the teams it's supposed to beat, and then beats a lot of the teams it's supposed to be on par with. And that's like that's not the phase they're supposed to be at. This isn't a finished product team yet. Uh, and so that, to me, just like where they are in terms of you know what they're capable of doing on a night-to-night basis is the kind of thing I expected this iteration of the thunder to get to but i don't think i expected it to get to it this year yeah it's it's really a trend that i don't know in all my years watching the thunder i don't know that i've ever seen a team handle their business like this team does and just be as focused as they are night in and night out look at the west this year brett i mean look at the top four seeds the separation between them is is less than three games. Uh, Denver's dropped a couple in a row, and so that's that's the only reason it's more than a game and a half. I think the other day was a half-game separation between the, the top four te- teams in the West. No one in the Western Conference has a better record over their last 10 than 7-3. and three. I mean, it is just... It's mad, right? It's just every night you, you have a tough matchup in the Thunder. To their credit, as young as they are, you know, it's, it's, it's a dead horse at this point, but they don't play as young as they are, that's for sure. Yeah, a theme of the TNT broadcast the other night. Right. Among it's, the it's, themes. And it is Among the other too. themes was Shaq. Yeah. All the things that we talk about all year when you're so close to the team. Yeah. When, when they're finally on national TV, you just hear those things over and over. And you're like, oh, that was two months ago, guys. Like, you need yeah. to catch up with where we're at now. <laughs> I know. It's so funny. There's like a, this is like a bitter writer thing, so I'll just be bitter for just a second. Um, but John Krasinski, the very, very talented writer from The Athletic uh, who covers the Wolves, came and did a story about the Thunder. And one of the things he, he mentioned was, you know, they have this, they're this really young core. They have this great chemistry. And at the trade deadline, you have to think about what you're going to add to that because the mix has been so good and you don't want to disrupt that. And I saw these people who were like, wow, what a great point. And it's like, you know, we, <laughs> we've all been saying this for quite some time now that you really had to be careful. And the Thunder, I think, was pretty careful about what they added. Let's quickly, before we get into, I want to talk about what this team's going to look like a little bit after the break, but the break's just a nice place. And also it's nice timing because ESPN straw poll came out this week. Um, Shea is second in this, in the ESPN MVP straw poll. That's a hundred media members. It is not, I think we should always be clear about this. It's not necessarily MVP voters. Like there are people in, there are multiple media 
uh, people in every outlet in every market, which will not be the case at the MVP. It's like one, maybe two in some markets. It won't be this. These won't be the exact voters. Um, but Shea was second. Second is a really good place to be in the MVP straw poll at this point. Often the guy in second place right now wins. Second place this year is a little weird because, you know, the, the poll is a little bit weird because this is the first time in the poll that Joel Embiid wasn't eligible. So he drops out of the top five. So everybody's a spot up probably from where they would be. Embiid would probably be number one. And then you'd be looking at, at Jokic two and Shea three. Instead, it's Jokic one and Shea two. Russell Westbrook was number two in this poll all the way through every time they did it until the very last one. Um, maybe not even the last poll. It might have been he was number two all the way until the MVP race. I don't remember uh, how that worked out time wise, but he was number two for most of the year. So this is not a bad spot to be in. How do you feel about Shea's MVP chances, legit chances right now on February 15th? I think he has as good of a shot as anybody, truly. I, like you said, it's a good place to be. I think, I think if he was on national TV as much as these other guys are, I think he'd probably be the clear-cut number one right now. I don't, you, you don't have a lot of negative things to point to. I legitimately think when, when you take everything into account this year, the games played, the consistency, uh, the overall production, how good the team is being the second team in the West that we already talked about. I think he's been the best player in the league this year, not counting Embiid, who's been hurt, but even, you know, games played is a factor. Availability is a factor there. I think that he has been the best player wire to wire in the league. I think to win this, though, I think, I think there are two things. I think the Thunder have to finish ahead of the Nuggets. I think that yep. Jokic has the narrative of the best player in the world. Maybe he should have won it again last year. He was even better last year than he was in his two MVP seasons, and he wins the, the championship. And number two, I think he needs that MVP statement game, that, that signature performance. You know, he scores 30 every night, but that's not, it doesn't stand out anymore because he does it every night. And that's part of the consistency argument with him. But maybe he needs that 50-point game. Maybe he, yeah. needs, he, he needs that real statement right there to, to I think, solidify. L like you, you mentioned Westbrook, right? That final week of the season. That performance at Denver where he breaks the triple-double record. Now, that's on another level, of course, but that was his MVP statement performance. That's ultimately what I think got him to the finish line to win that award. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, some of these guys have... Some of the guys who probably aren't going to win MVP have had those games. Luka has a 70-point game. I don't think Shea has to get 70. Um, I, I'm one of those people... I'm very conscious, because I grew up around horse racing, very conscious of not comparing athletes to horses. But MVP races can be like horse races. And... Stalking is not a bad strategy as the MVP, as an MVP candidate, because it leaves you that opportunity. It's just, it's kind of like an Oscar campaign, right? You kind of don't want to be the movie that came out too soon or that everybody was talking about too soon. You kind of rather come in later. All of a sudden, here's this fresh thing to talk about. And so you've got a guy in Jokic who's won it twice. He's leading that straw poll and probably genuinely leading the MVP race right now. I think if we voted today, he'd probably win. But that means that Shea is stalking back there. He's the new flavor, right? He hasn't won this thing before. Hasn't really been a factor in the race before. Um, got votes last year, but he was never going to win last year. I don't think there's a point where we thought this guy could win the MVP. So he's in that position now where a great run, like an eight, you talk about nobody's, nobody's better than seven and three, a nine and one spurt at some point in the season or eight straight wins where he averages 36 and he has, you know, you throw a 48 in there somewhere or a game winning shot. He's already got, you know, he's already done the game winning shot thing. He's got that against Denver, but you have another moment like that when people are really thinking about MVP. I think that's probably what pushes him over the top because I do think he's got to overcome 
just the idea of, of people who don't see him all the time saying, is this guy really the MVP? Because I know this guy in Denver. I know he's an MVP. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I, I think it's just uh, people that don't watch the Thunder all the time becoming more familiar with his game, too. Um, I think he's doing, he's doing a great job with the consistency aspect. He needs those spurts. It's kind of hard to do on this team, though. And I don't know that's yeah. going to get any easier uh, with the way things are, you know, having Gordon Hayward come in and another really good player that can produce for you. Uh, and, and with the surge of Jalen Williams, it's just, it's, a, it's credit to Shea. He doesn't feel the need to, to overly press for games like that. But he, sa- he said it a couple weeks ago, right, in the post game after Lucas scored 73. He said, someone asked him, maybe it was you, bro. Uh, someone asked him, you ever see a, see a game like this on the horizon for you, like 50-point, 60-point game? He said, it'll happen once. And I love that sort of confidence. Like, one day it's going to happen. And everything he says pretty much comes true, so I believe him. He actually said, hopefully, sooner rather than later. So maybe that is coming. He did, like, within a few days of saying that, he did almost get a 5 by 5 which would have been, like, those things, to me, like, I'm a nerd about the 5 by 5 I think it's, like, the coolest thing you can do on a court. Um, but especially if you get a cool one. Like, I don't care <laughs> if you get seven, six. Five, five, five. You know, but like if you get a really cool five by five, like Anthony Davis, Nurkic's was real. Like if you get one of those real ones, those are awesome. Like it's yeah. Great. I mean, I mean I, when, whenever you look at the the history of five by fives too, and you just see Akeem Olajuwon's name, though, it's just absurd. That yeah. guy, like how many times he did it, is just him and Karolinko, right? Five by five kings, yep. I think. Yep, I think those two guys have more than than certainly all the active players combined. Oh um, yeah. Oh yeah. Not all the all-time players combined, I don't think, but there have not been very many of those. Some of these, you know, the the five by five numbers, so that's points, rebounds, assists, steals, and blocks. Not all those numbers have been kept forever, so this is a, a thing you could only have gotten since like the seventies, I want to say, um, because not all those numbers were charted. But yeah, I, I I love the five by five. I was so excited. I think I was more excited than anybody about the possibility of one. I wrote my whole story about it, even though he didn't get it, because I was just it was so <laughs> fascinating that he flirted with it, and that to me is like. It's it's in its own way. It's more impressive than getting fifty. Might not be more impressive than getting seventy three, but more impressive than getting fifty. He um, it's funny. He had a good game against Orlando, but really a great third quarter. Um, and it was fun to sort of see everybody react to him when he was made the first six shots or whatever of the third. And I'm just kind of thinking, well, this is sort of what he does. Like what you guys saw in the first half is not really him. The obviously six for six is a lot, but the way he was playing at the beginning of the third is just the way we've gotten accustomed to him playing this year. Um, so he was really good, but you mentioned, you know, it's funny. I think the, the, the awards conversation has really focused on two and maybe three guys here. It's, it's really been focused on Shea and then Chet to a lesser extent. And I think we probably haven't talked that much about Mark Dignall, who is certainly a, a candidate, maybe not the leading candidate, but certainly a candidate. But I think the Orlando thing was interesting in that, in that how much they talked about Jalen Williams as most improved player. And I think there's a there's an argument against it. There's an argument that I know voters personally use, which is that they don't like to give it to second year guys because that leap is sort of expected. And I will say, I don't really care if Jalen Williams wins that award, um, but I think he belongs in the discussion among the NBA players who are who have improved the most from last year to this year. I don't think there's any doubt. Yeah, I don't know. I- I don't really see him as a candidate for that award. And the reason is, is I feel like that was res- that reward should be reserved for players that make a surprising leap. And to me, this isn't that surprising of a leap. I think if you watch, if you paid attention to Jalen Williams last year, this isn't crazy. Um, you saw how he just progressed as the season went on last year and how good he was, especially the back third of the season. He's doing the same thing this year. I mean, progression 
is linear for this guy. It's insane. I mean, he's just constantly getting better. Now, borderline all-star, would we have predicted that? Maybe not, but it's not like that crazy. So I think most improved should be reserved for the Kobe Whites, for the Jalen Johnsons of the world, for the guys that you're like, okay, I didn't see him doing this this year. That I, I think, to me, the reason they were talking about Jalen Williams so much is they just didn't watch him last year. I mean, they yeah. didn't realize how good this guy is. And he's just, he's taking more responsibility um, in a way where the team is winning. Last year, they weren't necessarily winning. He had more responsibility at times, especially when Shea was out for that brief period. But they weren't winning games like they are now. They weren't on everyone's radar. Now they are, and they're winning, and he has responsibility. Uh, he's in a staggered position with Shea now on the court where they're, they're sharing time as ball handlers or running the offense, and both are almost equally effective at this point in time, which is just unbelievable. But most improved, I'd rather, I think he's closer to the all-star conversation than I do the most improved conversation. So I, I would push back against this idea. I don't like the idea of awards being surprise-based. I've never liked that. It's like when I, when I cover college basketball and every year the candidates for coach of the year were like the guy whose team was supposed to be bad and they were good. And it's like, you know that like getting the players is part of the job, right? So like Mike Krzyzewski had to go get the players. And like you can say, well, like all the good players want to go to Duke, but that's because Mike Krzyzewski built it into a thing that players wanted to go you know, be a part of. So like, I don't think you should have to surprise people. So I think if you put in the work and get better and you just make a big leap as a player, I don't care if we could have seen it coming. You still had to do it. You know, like nothing is a given in the NBA. There's no, no given that you're going to get better. So to me, uh, I'd put him firmly in the mix for it just because I think he might be the best player of the guys who will be really strong candidates for it. And maybe he didn't have to come as far as some of those guys did, but this is not a guy anybody was talking about as an all-star last year. You know, like maybe yeah. people who watched him all the time were talking about him as a future all-star, but nationally that wasn't really, he wasn't part of that conversation. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. I, I just think the, the discrepancy in his numbers from this year to last year, isn't that big. Like, you know, it's, it's not that crazy. Um, and that's why, whereas you look at like a guy like Kobe white, it is like, I mean, a lot yeah. of people thought Kobe white was done, like as far as like improvement goes and he just took an, a massive leap. So to me that, that speaks more to the award. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't blame you for thinking the way you do. Jalen Williams is awesome. So, and you're right. It, it, he deserves a lot of credit, um, for what he's doing. Like he's just staying at it and man, it's, it's just impressive what he's doing right now. Let's bundle these last two. Um, so give, give me a percentage chance in your mind, percentage chance that Chet wins rookie of the year, percentage chance that Mark Dagnall is coach of the year. Uh, Chet rookie of the year, I'll say 10%. Um, I think that it's, it's almost, the ship has almost sailed. Yeah. Uh, I think he almost would need to rely on a Wimbenyama injury. Not that I would wish that on anybody, but I think just Wimbenyama, what he's doing right now, it's hard to ignore the numbers, just the highlights night after night. Uh, you know, he had a triple-double with blocks the other night, which is just absurd as a rookie. So as long as he stays healthy, I just don't see any way Chet can knock him off. Um, so that's that 10%. And even, you know, Brandon Miller starting to get buzzed, too. And with that production, I think some people look at numbers, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the season some voters have Brandon Miller ahead of Chet just because of statistics, which won't be fair, I will say. Um, uh, Mark Dagnall, Coach of the Year, 75%. I think he's the leader right now. Um, I think he had the narrative going into the season, and I think he's done nothing but strengthen that narrative. Uh, so maybe Chris Finch is his biggest competition right now. 
Uh, but I, I give Mark a, a huge chance to win this award. And I love it for him because I really wanted him to coach the All-Star game because he seems like yeah. the anti-All-Star coach, which I just loved. I just love the idea of him walking in the locker room. All of those players being like, who is this guy that is here to coach us? I don't, I've never seen this guy in my life. Oh, it's Mark Dagnall, coach of the Oklahoma City Thunder. So he deserves something. Kind of to your point with Jalen Williams, he earned this, the right to be in the most improved conversation. Mark Dagnall has earned this right to, to win this award, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think if it's if it's healthy Chet and healthy Wemby the rest of the year, Chet's tracking at about five percent. I think it would need to be a situation where he has an amazing March, like amazing statistical March, and the team is really good. Month of March, not like March toward the stretch run. Yeah, uh, he'd have to be great all month. Uh, they'd have to be really good again. Maybe if they're way out in front in the West or something along those lines, and people say like. Hey, this guy's really contributing. But I just think, you know, when you talk about those MVP moments, that was kind of Wimby's rookie of the year moment, the triple double yeah. blocks. He's just doing all these things that nobody's ever done. And like he's done some season stuff, some season long rookie stuff that Chet's gonna do too. The the blocks, assists, and threes one. Chet's gonna get there here in a matter of games. But Wimby got there first and his numbers are just crazy. It's he has very little chance of winning. Chet has very little chance of winning at this point. I think Mark is the favorite. Chris Finch, you mentioned. I think the other guy I'm keeping an eye on is definitely Ty Lu, who has a lot of goodwill with people. Like voters really like him. Um, they were so bad the first handful of games when they got Harden, and he sort of told everybody, "Give me some time, and I'm going to fix it." And he fixed it. And I think like that if they if they win the West, uh, if the Clippers are the one seed, I think that's maybe a chance that he sneaks in and beats the kind of underdog guys. I think you know like. Finch and, and Dagnalt are kind of scrapping here in small markets, and uh, you kind of don't want the L.A. guy to swoop in and take it away. But look, the Clippers are essentially a small market team. It's a dirty little <laughs> secret the Clippers. They don't spend like it, but they're like it in terms of you know their attention and all that sort of stuff. They're like a non, non-entity out there. I don't know this at all. Uh, like, I need to look at Coach of the Year history, but doesn't it feel like it's weirdly an award reserved for small markets? It's like that, that's their gift yeah. to small markets uh, in award season is the Coach of the I, Year. Although didn't Tibbs win it a couple years ago? Yeah, yeah, I think he did. Um, which people were mad, sense. but the people Knicks, were mad that Tibbs won. And I don't remember who <laughs> they wanted to win that year. I don't remember. I don't remember who was supposed to win. But yeah, the Knicks are kind of like yeah, that's kind of like winning at um, like Dayton or whatever. You yeah, know, it's like oh wow, he won with the Knicks. It's, it's like really <laughs> impressive. Um, let's move on a little bit to we've talked about what this team has done to this point. I want to talk some about the fun stuff is what they're going to do from here. Um, so and I, I want to. I want to gear this conversation, Brandon. I want to start with gearing it toward Josh Giddy because I think the the acquisition of Gordon Hayward is an exciting thing. It changes the way they're going to play. I think the reason people are excited about some change, this is a 37 and 17 team. Why does anybody want to change anything? The reason people are a little excited is because of the Josh Giddy thing. I'm going to throw some numbers at you here in a minute that tells you that the Josh Giddy stuff isn't all that it's cracked up to be in terms of like being some sort of weight on the offense. Um, but where where are you right now just with where he's playing and how Gordon Hayward might affect, you know, his minutes and what this team looks like? I think it's obvious that the the way defenses, especially good defenses, are playing the Thunder right now. Um, and they're treating Josh Giddy as the weak link on the court when you start games. And that's impossible to ignore. And they've been doing it for a couple of months now. I think two and a half months. I think the first time I really noticed it was... I believe November 28th, 
the final in-season tournament game against the Minnesota Timberwolves at Minnesota. It was a hard-fought game. I think both teams scored under 100. It was close until the finish, and Minnesota pulled it out. But the Thunder could not score down the stretch, and they were just ignoring Giddy. They were ignoring Dort. And I remember thinking that night, and Brett, I think we talked about this the first time you had me on, is are they going to be able to play these guys together come playoff time? Because how are defenses going to play when both of those guys are on the court for extended periods of time? And I think we're starting to see that. Now, Mark Dagnall has talked a ton about, well, it's on us to figure out new ways to score when, when they play us that way. But I don't feel like the Thunder have really done that, um, at least having great success. Now, I don't want to completely ignore that stretch in December that we're talking about where they were on fire. Nothing changed. They were playing the same lineups. Josh Giddy was playing. Lou Dort was playing. So the, it's totally unfair to act like that didn't happen and this has been a consistent problem. So I'm sort of like on the fence right now. I don't, you know, Josh Giddy is such a unique basketball player. There's no one like him in the league. He, he's huge. Um, he can rebound. He can, he's one of the best cutters when Shea drives, uh, w- when he shares the court with Shea. He gives Shea an option out of the play oftentimes when no one else does, to his credit. And I think that's something that goes unseen. But, I, but, you know, Giddy's not often put in a position to do what he does best, and that's to make plays. Um, he's a lead guard. I think, I think we saw that over the summer in FIBA. That's his natural position. That's what he's comfortable doing. He was so effective for Australia in that tournament. And I think that got a lot of Thunder fans excited because he was really good and oftentimes looked like the best player on the court, even when he was sharing the court with other NBA stars. But he had the ball in his hands. You know, he's physical. He drives to the rim. But now he's just not getting those same angles. He's not getting that same momentum. I, I, don't, I don't know how this, how this goes, but I don't think the answer is just like, bye, Giddy. Like, see you later. He's too unique of a player. He has too many strengths that can add to a team that no one else on this team really has uh, at the level that he has. And, you know, his, his inbounding, of course, is, is next level. But yeah, Gordon Hayward, to me, like, the more I think about it, the more obvious it is. He's here to be that insurance for Giddy. When you can't play Giddy, stick him in there. He does the same things you kind of want Giddy to do that Giddy maybe hasn't gotten super comfortable doing. The things that he needs to do. Um, Giddy wants, like I said, Giddy wants to be a lead guard. He has no opportunity to be a lead guard on this team. There's just, it's just not there because do you want to run the offense through Jalen Williams when Shea's on the bench or do you want to run it through Josh Giddy? The, the answer is easy. Uh, so Gordon Hayward, not a lead guard. He's going to be able to fill that role a little bit better than Josh Giddy can, I think, at this point in time. Now, I don't want to over, uh, overrate what Gordon Hayward could do. He's 33 years old. He's had a real tough time staying healthy. He hasn't been on a good team in a long time. So I think everyone needs to pump their brakes a little bit. But on paper, it looks really, really good. So I'm really interested to see how it unfolds. I don't really have any predictions here. Um, yeah, that's it. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. What do you think, Brett? This is so well, interesting to me, though. This is one of the most interesting storylines across the entire NBA. I think the rest of the season. So here's something that's interesting. You mentioned that late November game. If you look at December first, which is around the time you started to see they took off at this point, but it's also you started to see some of this scheming for Giddy in this way in December. Since that point, you know their offensive rating when he's on the court is one twenty two point three. That's a really good offensive rating. When he's off, it's 115. It's significantly worse. Now, there's a whole lot of noise in some of those offensive rating numbers. He shares the court a ton by nature of starting, by virtue of starting. He shares the court a ton with Shea and J-Dub and Chet. And like those guys are awesome. And so that's a part of it. There's no question that affects it. But 
I think the idea that they're just plummeting when he's on the floor is clearly false. It's just that that's a narrative that people have created. People have created the narrative that he doesn't play hard. It's just not true. I mean, like there might be some plays. You're looking for those things, I think, with him because you're down on him right now and you're down on him for a lot of reasons and that's okay. But like, if you think he's not playing hard in pursuit of rebounds, what do you think the other guys are doing? Because like, he is one of their better rebounders out, out of that spot. Um, he's just not playing well. He's not finishing. He's not shooting the ball well. Like He's not a shooter. And there are these moments in games. It's funny. We talk about MVP moments, rookie of the year moments. There's also these giddy moments that they're, they're so loud. I used to always say Westbrook. Westbrook like makes loud mistakes. So you notice them more than you notice other great players' mistakes. And Giddy, when he's being schemed a certain way, it's very loud. And it's especially loud when he settles. And so, you know, you, they go to Dallas, they get their doors blown off, and they go three straight possessions or three out of four where he shoots corner threes, where the literal entire side of the court is a sea of hardwood for him. There is nobody between him and the rim. And he doesn't step up into that space and create something. He just shoots three. He misses it. And if he makes it, you say, boy, he really, you know, they dared him and he, he beat them. And occasionally that does happen, but you can't rely on it. And so to me, the numbers are what they are. He's not destroying their offense. He's not dismantling this team when he's on the floor. But teams are making choices with him. And the choice is these other three guys are so good that we'll concede this. We, if this guy makes a bunch of threes, we'll react. When you put Hayward in that situation, they can't wait to react. Like he's a 40% catch and shoot three point shooter this year. He's a really good catch and shoot three point shooter over the course of his career. He only takes two a game. He's got to take more here. Um, but like that's going to change the calculus for a defense. And so like both things can be true. The Josh Getty thing is not quite as bad as you think it is. It's not quite as bad as the eye test makes it look, but the Gordon Hayward thing could be better. Yeah, completely agree. And I, I think the the Hayward point, too, is is while he does draw the defense, draw the, you know, you have to pay attention to him when he's spotting up on the perimeter. So he can do all those things being asked of Josh Giddy right now that Josh Giddy just isn't super comfortable doing. And I think that the fact that Josh Giddy isn't super comfortable doing the things that are being asked of him right now is leading to him losing a little bit of confidence. You know, one of his favorite shots is that floater driving to the rim, and he's really, yeah. really good at it. He's struggling with it right now. It's leaving his hand weird. He's taken off where he just looks unsure out there. And I think that's the last thing you want from a guy in his position. And you talk about sacrifice on good teams. Like he's the one that's having to make the biggest sacrifice of anyone else on the team right now. Yeah. And that's why I think ultimately to your point, ultimately, I don't think this is a long-term fit. Um, and it's not because I think he's a bad player. He's having a bad year. And like, there's all kinds of stuff that goes into him having a bad year. We know the off court stuff. We don't know if that's affected him. He hasn't talked about it, but it's been there and it How would be it hard not? for it not, right? Yeah. We're human beings. Uh, it would be hard for it not to affect him. And and like, by the way, that is not a, like, I don't want anybody to think I'm like defending that situation or saying, oh, what a distraction. Like that's a, that's a situation of his own. He, he had some, some, uh, some, whatever you want to say. He had some control in that situation, you know? Um, and so I, I don't mean to say like, this is some horrible thing that was thrust upon him. It's just, a th it's a thing that happened. He went through it. It probably affected him. Um, and so I'm, I don't want to write off the, the whole humanity situation of it as a distraction for him. That's not my intent, but it, it certainly almost has to have been, uh, he, he has been asked to do something very different and even different, I think, than he would have expected coming in because I like, you can say we thought J-Dub was going to make a leap. I don't think we thought 
he would make this kind of leap on the ball, just like stylistically. He's a different player than he was last year. He's a better creator. Uh, he's a better, like, you know, he's a, such a great safety valve to create when Shea gets those traps and then also to do it when Shea is off the floor. And I just don't think we saw that coming to this degree this year. So Josh Giddy probably thought, I got some time in that role. Um, and he doesn't. He hasn't yeah. had some time in that role. It's just kind of been taken away from him. Now, uh, Vasily Mitic is gone. There's some, there's some down the bench point guard minutes available. And like, you can plug him into some of those. Like, but Mitic wasn't getting consistent minutes. And you've got to find a place for Gordon Hayward to play. Like, he's just got to play some minutes. If he's healthy, you got to get him on the floor. And like, because he fits so naturally with the starting five, I just think Giddy's minutes are the ones he's probably going to eat into the most. Yeah. I mean, Giddy's averaging a hair under 25 minutes a game this year. Um, maybe that comes down a couple minutes. I don't see it dipping below 20. I just think they're yeah. going to let this guy continue to to play. Um, I think they want him to be able to work through his his issues on the court. And they, you know, when you get to the playoffs, that's another story. Like when you have to win a game, you absolutely have to win a game. We'll see what happens there if, if the struggles continue. But yeah, I think the other minutes come from the rest of the roster. I think you. I think you pick pick away from each of the guys uh, especially Usman Jang I think maybe those development developmental yeah. minutes are, are all but done uh, maybe they rest Gordon on back-to-backs given his age given his injury history and maybe that's the opportunity for Jang to get on the court a little bit more as the season closes out but I think Jay will probably plays a little bit less maybe has more DNPs I wonder if we see some Gordon Hayward at the five lineups you know he's a good rebounder himself uh you talk about plugging in for Giddy that's like a clean you know that's another thing that he does basically on par with Giddy um Kenrich Williams who hasn't been great this year he's been he's been okay um he, when when Kenny shoots the ball well he's good when he doesn't he's 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 not that great so, so you anticipate that Gordon Hayward's going to shoot the ball well uh, and therefore be a better option than Kenrich Williams is on the court. And then maybe it's just, uh, you know, whoever's playing well at the right time, matchups between Wiggins and Cason Wallace and Isaiah Joe, who also hasn't been playing his best basketball over the past month or so, just hasn't gotten the looks because he's getting more respect from defenses, for one. And, and it teams aren't letting him shoot the ball. Uh, and he's a small guy, so it's, it's not super easy for him to get his own shot. Again, that's where Gordon Hayward steps in. Big guy, physical strong been in the league a long time so there's just so many potential thunder weaknesses that he fills that i think those minutes kind of come from the group as a whole but yeah it, it could in the end be giddy and i do wonder does hayward end up being the fifth starter well i was gonna ask you that uh i, I do think by and large if i had to guess by the time we're in the stretch run here they're playing meaningful games at the end they're fighting for seeding they're in the playoffs I would be surprised if he's not finishing a lot of games, assuming health. Now, Giddy's going to get in at the end of some games. He's going to be a sideline out-of-bound specialist. Like, we know that. They'll, they'll put him in. In those scenarios where they can sub, they're going to do it. Um, and you can always sub at a, at a sideline out-of-bounds if you need to. So he's going to get those minutes. And there will probably be some matchup-based things where he's finishing. But I think Hayward makes so much sense with the other four starters. Um, that, and, and because, like, he makes sense in one of the two spots where they have a non-shooter, and at the end of games, you need Lou Dort on the floor. And so, like, process of elimination, you're not taking one of the big three off the floor. You're probably not taking Lou Dort off because of his defense. I think he'll finish. He has come off the bench one time in Charlotte, once. Um, now, he came off the bench some in Boston, uh, and that's about it. Like, other than that, he's been a starter for his whole career. So, it's interesting, you know, if you're trying to read some tea leaves, they, they talked about, you know, his openness to doing some things that they do and, and his willingness to do what's best for the team and his 
understanding that the team is really good and not wanting to mess with that. And to me, a lot of that is it comes across as code for maybe you're going to come off the bench. Um, I wouldn't start him. I wouldn't mess with 37 and 17. That's my personal opinion. Um, but I'm one of those people who was who was gun shy about add them adding anything. So uh, I might be the wrong guy to ask. Would you would you throw him in the starting lineup? Not right away. I, I think yeah. I think you stick with what you're doing for a little while. But I do. You got to be cognizant of the fact that you don't want to you don't want to get to the playoffs, drop a game one, and have a clear reason why you know teams are playing you the way maybe they're playing you exactly as they are now, and the offense just it's too crowded in the paint. Giddy's being asked to knock down three threes a game. You don't want to get to that point and then make a change in the starting line. Like that's that's re- reverting back to the Scott Brooks days. Like you don't wa- you don't want that. So you want to be proactive in making those changes. Um, and when you make moves like this at the deadline, like the Thunder did, like getting Gordon Hayward, which is a win now move, by the way, and a win later move as well. When you when you bring in salary cap stuff, but, but roster wise, this is a win now move. Um, and Bismack Biombo is just some insurance on the bench. You better make your your moves to reflect that um so i wouldn't throw him in there right away but i wouldn't be shocked if he ends up there in 10 games um, yeah i think how shocked psycho- would you be if they threw him in there right away like there's no way right very he's, i mean 30 they're 37 and 17 i just think like to mess with your starting lineup at that point and to 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 not just mess with it but throw the new guy in. This is a team that's been through kind of everything together. They haven't really done this kind of thing. This, this win-now move you're talking about, it would have been nonsense for them to do it the past few years. So this is a first-time experience for some of these guys. So I think to sort of throw a guy in right away who hasn't – he's earned a lot in the NBA. You know, like he's, he's had a great career. Um, but he hasn't earned it with your team. And I think, like, it would just be an odd Fair. thing to do. And I don't know, like, this team is very accepting. I think they're very adaptable. I think if Mark Dignall came and said, like, this is the thing that we think is best, I think they'd probably be okay with it. But I just think it 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 presents the question of, like, was that the right thing? Was that the fair thing to do? Now, if he earns it, I don't think these guys are going to have any problems with it. And I think that's what you do is you let him earn it. Yeah. I guess the thing that I wonder is if he is a starter, does it carve out a new, better fit of a role for Josh Giddy? Um, coming off the bitch is is that something that he can actually be excited about uh going to the bench because hey we're giving you more opportunity in this in this role in a weird roundabout way well here's the my answer to that is like sort of throwing back something you said a little while ago do you want him in that role where you say okay now when these guys come off you you're in control like you're the playmaker or do you still want Jalen williams doing that because he's been so good at it no you want Jalen williams in that role and Jalen williams is like the quintessential lead ball handler where he can isolate, he can run pick and roll. And, and you know what? Giddy doesn't run a lot of pick and roll. He never really has a, as a ball handler either. So he's kind of like everyone get out of the way and I'm just going to bully my way into this guy and try to shoot a floater over him. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. You, I want those guys to play a little bit more together with Shea off the court. I'd like to see more of that. Lately, the lineups have been, you know, Shea with the bench, Shea and all, nothing but bench players. Maybe it's, um, Isaiah Joe, Kaysen Wallace, Aaron Wiggins, and Usman Jang or Jay Will or something like that. Uh, whereas when when Jalen Williams is running the the non Shea lineups, he has Chet on the floor with him. He has he has Giddy on the floor with him too. Um, but I'd like to I don't know I don't know what the answer is here. I'm just wondering if if there is a role that you can carve out for Giddy where he's more comfortable. But the answer is probably no. It probably is. Yeah. It- 
the one thing I do think is interesting about their rotations, they play Shea the entire first and the entire third, which means you still get to maximize like Hayward with Shea. It's not like there won't be any of those minutes if you're bringing him off the bench. If that didn't, if Shea's rotation wasn't quite that way, and a lot of stars are that way. Some guys play into the second, actually. Um, But because that he is a guy who will play the whole first, um, it's useful uh, that like you don't have to, you're not going to have Gordon Hayward coming in and Shea's off the floor. You, I think you want to spend as much time as you can, not as much as you can. That would be all of Shea's minutes. Um, <laughs> but you want to maximize that time early and just get a feel. You want him to play some with Shea. You want him to play some with Dub. Um, and I, I think you'll, that, that will probably be an early substitution that you'll see is like he'll come in for Giddy um, and you'll get to just see him with the other four guys because I think that is a lineup that makes a ton of sense. We haven't seen it, so we don't know how it's going to work and how is he going to hold up defensively and how is he going to rebound and all those things are going to be really important. But I think getting a look at it now, as you said, you made a, a move to win now. So you got to look and see is the best thing for you. Are, are these your five best players together? You got to find out. Yeah, I think that's the biggest change we see right off the bat is is just as you said, Hayward playing in those Shea bench lineups. And I think that makes all the difference in the world. When, like I said, when he's sharing the court with Isaiah Joe, Cason Wallace, Aaron Wiggins, and say Jalen Williams, uh, Jay Will, there's n- no secondary playmaking there really, right? Guess yeah. what? Guess what the, Hayward provides? Yeah, the, and the, the plus minus, by the way, over the past couple of weeks has indicated uh, – some of the damage that's being done when Shea is on the floor, some of the damage is being done to their leads Yeah, uh, when Shea's on the floor and some of those other guys are off. It's just so much is on Shea's shoulders in those lineups. Like he kind of has to score. Yeah. And if he doesn't score, if they're gang up on him and no one else is making shots, then that lineup's not going to perform well. Gordon Hayward yeah. changes the entire chemistry of that lineup. Well, and two, you talked about, you talked about Isaiah Joe earlier. When you have a, a unit out there, if you've got Shea out there and you got Gordon Hayward and Isaiah Joe, now a lot of stuff opens up. Now you're in real spread situations. Like you can run your kind of spread offense when things are moving and do some spread pick and roll and stuff like that with actual spread, yeah. um, which is a little different than what they have right now. And the other thing with, with Hayward, w- one more point on, on him being like in closing lineups. And you picture him on the court with, with Shea and, and Jalen Williams and Dort and Chet. Gordon Hayward's going to get the third best perimeter defender on him. I know that's yeah. not exactly how NBA defense works, but when the possession starts, that's how it's going to be. Uh, maybe he got that in Charlotte, but he got more off-ball attention than he's going to get here. Uh, you know, the, the off-ball attention, defender's eyes are going to be creeping towards Shea, creeping towards Jalen Williams, creeping towards Chet, even leaking out f- for three. Gordon Hayward is going to have a lot of freedom with the ball, I, I think, at least early on. I'm so, I'm so interested to see how this plays out. It's the thing I'm really, really most looking forward to. It's so hard to wait till the other side of the All-Star break to see yeah. this guy hit the floor. You know what? Uh, he's a pretty good screener. Uh, he can screen and roll. He can pick and pop. Um, he's physically pretty strong. So he, you think he plays five? Some stuff. You think he plays some, some five? I, I do. I think he's going to play some. I'm interested to see that, and it's not something I've asked Mark about yet. It's probably a hard question to answer until you get him in there and just like know that the calf is okay and uh, get a feel for things. But I do think they'll try him there a little. I think primarily he's a, you know, he's a shooting four for them. Um, but the other thing I think to your point, it's it, it's important to note he is not just going to be. I do think he's going to be more of a catch and shoot guy than he was in Charlotte. Uh, but he's more than that. He yeah. can drive. Uh, he's a good playmaker off the drive. Like just a good. He's a good passer. He reads cuts. Like I've watched fouls. highlights. Yep. And he's, yeah, he's, he's, he's a tough guy. Like he's, 
he looks strong and he is strong. I mean, like he's a guy like that's one of the things that people in Charlotte talk about a lot. His physical strength just allows him to do some stuff. Even defensively, he moves okay. He doesn't move fast, but he moves well. He's fluid. Um, and with that that ability to move and his strength, he can do some stuff defensively. Quicker guys are going to blow right by him. But like he's he holds up pretty well as a team defender. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be... I, I think it, it it's hard to imagine a better cleaner move the Thunder could have made it out of the deadline than, than acquiring Gordon Hayward. Yep. Shout Brandon out Trey Mann, me- by the way. Absolutely balling in Charlotte. Balling in Charlotte. And I think everybody <laughs> kind of expected that put into that situation, he's going to have some numbers. I mean, Mark Dagnall said the other day, we're not going to be surprised if any of these guys go on and have success. Like You know what I situations. didn't expect, though, Brett, is the rebounding and the playmaking. Yeah. Like he's, he's really filling up the box score. It's, it's beyond uh, scoring. And I wonder if that's kind of goes to speak to why he couldn't really get on the court in Oklahoma City. It's the same conversation we're having with Josh Giddy tonight. He's he's a lead guard. Maybe Trey yeah. Mann is a lead guard and he kind of needs the ball and he's getting opportunity in uh, in Charlotte. Yeah, I would also point out uh, nobody in the NBA has fresh legs right now and Trey Mann does, That's right. which is uh, not to not to dismiss anything he's doing, but it's helpful, right. you know. Yeah. It's a it's a it's a helpful thing at this time. And and defenses uh, Brandon, aren't taking them super seriously too, by the way. Right. Right. <laughs> Brandon, quickly, give me a quick post-All-Star prediction. One thing you think is going to happen for the Thunder, to the Thunder, after the All-Star break. Um, I'll just make a prediction as to where they finish. Uh, and I'll yeah. say, I say that they get the three seed. Um, I think, I don't know who finishes ahead of them. It just feels like a sweet spot to me, three seed. And maybe it's because that's kind of what I want, which seems weird. But I feel like it's a terrible year for the first round sake to be in the one or two where you're waiting on the play in games to play out. Like you might have golden state and the Lakers in the play in games. And I don't want to be sitting there waiting to see which one of those you're going to get. Uh, I'd rather as the thunder be able to prepare for your opponent uh, beforehand and have that week to do that. So I'm going to say they finished at the three seed. I think it's a, a super interesting just how this plays out, who they like. There will be no jockeying for a position this year, I don't think. It's way too crowded. You just take what you can get. You try to get home court, and you call it good. But I do think if the Thunder could pick an opponent, uh, I have to think that opponent would be Sacramento, which is weird oh, to say. Which is weird to say. Got run off the floor twice in Sacramento. I understand. And they lost eight in a row before they took him down last. But I yep. think ultimately, I think they match up really well with Sacramento. And I think they have more talent than Sacramento. So I think that's the team that I, I, would, I would pick that they could cl- clearly beat in a seven-game series. Um, maybe the Pelicans you could lump in there. Pelicans are deep just like the Thunder are, though. Lots of talent. Man, it's going to be a, a crazy playoffs in the Western Conference. Yeah, I don't think there's one team where I would say, like... That is a great matchup. The West is so good. You know, like I feel like they match up actually pretty well with Phoenix, but it scares you when those two guys are out there. Yeah. You know, like they've just, they've been there and done a whole lot. Durant in particular, um, Booker's had some pretty great playoff moments as well. So like those, those two, eh, it scares me. I think they match up well with the Warriors too. Really, truly. I yeah, mean, that, Steph, that too. Steph Curry is obviously one of the scariest players in the league. Maybe the scariest player in the league. He can go off. He can win multiple games for that team by himself. Uh, but I think when you have Dort and multiple guys that throw at him uh, over the course of a seven-game series, the rest of the roster, the, the Thunder dominate, I think, yeah. up and down. Yeah. they don't. I don't think they want any part of the Lakers just a little too big um, and so experienced. Um, and LeBron is LeBron. Um, I just think like a team that's never seen LeBron in the play, never seen the playoffs, really. I don't know that you necessarily want LeBron. They're a better team yeah. than the Lakers, but the matchup <laughs> has proven to be 
a challenge for them. And some of that is just Anthony Davis offsets so much of the good stuff that Chet gives you. Um, there aren't many guys who can do that single-handedly. Rudy Gobert is one as well. Uh, I actually kind of like the Minnesota matchup a little, even though I Gobert dominates those games defensively. Um, there's just some good stuff about – I just think Shea and Dub are a tough matchup for those guys. Um, and also the fact that Minnesota is pretty turnover-prone. We'll see if that's any different. Um, made, made some changes. We'll see if that, that changes anything for them. But the turnover-prone thing, turnover-prone teams, I like the Thunder's chances against teams that, that give up the ball. So uh, I was going to say I think they're going to finish second. Um, I think the Clippers are going to win the West, uh, and I think that's going to be the second-place team. That makes it sound like I have absolutely no faith in Minnesota. I do think Minnesota's really good, and all year I kind of keep waiting on Minnesota. Right? Yeah, I kind of keep waiting for Minnesota to fall back, and they're not doing it. Uh, I just – I am really – in on the Clippers right now. I think yeah. the Clippers are really, really good. And watching them last night, just they did the stuff that good teams do. They're, I mean, I know it's the Warriors, and every nobody's ever helplessly out of a game against the Warriors. Um, but it just, the, the Clippers just took their heart. Yeah, I feel like there's just going to be a point where the Clippers coast a little bit, and they may be falling Maybe. a couple games. Um, you know, just given their how veteran they are, uh, it just tends to happen with teams like that. It's not that I don't think that they have a great shot to win the West in the playoffs because I do. I don't think it really matters. As long as they get home court advantage, I think in the first round, I think they got a good shot to win the West. So I think Minnesota probably gets a one seed just because how easy yeah. their march is. I think their top seven guys are really, really, really good. Um, and they fit together like just as clean as, as you can imagine. And, and just the steps forward that guys like Nikhil Alexander-Walker have taken. Getting Monty Morris is under the radar. It's going to be a really nice uh nice move for them off their bench so man it's gonna be a fun last third of the season that's for sure yeah for sure brandon thanks for being here really appreciate it everybody if you're not subscribed to the podcast you want to do that you can do that on youtube if you're an audio only listener go to apple music apple podcasts spotify amazon anywhere you get your podcast leave us a review if you'd like uh, make sure to subscribe to the youtube channel you'll get lots of stuff there including videos after games and check out everything we do at selloutcrowd.com cool story up today really just a visual story kind of comparing shea gildas alexander's season to this point to the all-star break with kevin durant and russell westbrook's mvp seasons in oklahoma city so check that out we'll see you next week after the break we'll see a very different thunder team can't wait to talk about it